0: So um, we're we're wrapping up this this uh, series of messages about uh, chapter eight of Romans, what I call the best chapter. It, it may not be the best chapter in the Bible, but it's certainly among the best chapters. Um, not because it's more true than any of the uh, other Bible uh, passages in the Bible, not because it's more relevant than any of them, but because it helps us understand everything else. That by looking through Romans eight, we can understand what the rest of the Bible is telling us. So. The rest of the Bible may be telling us about the problem. Uh, Romans eight tells us about the solution. So I'm calling it uh, the best. Um, and uh, if it's not the best, I'm sure it's among the best uh, chapters in the Bible. So uh, Paul uh, opens up this concluding part of the chapter with the the big question. Really, the big question. He's been talking about all the different problems in the world, and and um, uh, you know how how do you how do you make sense? of the world, the world where, as we saw in the news today, people blow up bombs outside of churches or, or go through shopping malls shooting people. How do you make sense of problems in the world? How do you make sense of a world where people get Alzheimer's disease and, and get cancer? How do you, how do you make sense of a world where, where you can go to work and find out that your division is being sold and, and there won't be a job for you? How do you make sense of a world full of problems? That's the question Paul is talking about. He says, what shall we do about these things, what shall we say about these things? That's the question that Paul is working with. What then are we to say about these things? Is there some deeper significance to it? Uh, first of all, just can I get through it? But second of all, is there is there some lesson I should learn? Should I should I uh, uh, should I somehow figure something out based on these events that then I can apply to the rest of my life? Is there some deeper significance? Is there some meaning? in the events of my life. Now, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, there were a lot of people back then and there's a lot of people today who say no. They say there is no deeper significance. There's there's just uh there's just the the reality as it exists. They say, you know, you've seen the bumper stickers, stuff happens, right? Um, stuff happens and then you die and they say there is no deeper significance. I mean, there's there's cause and effect you know and it may be it may be pretty obvious if i drop the ball it it hits the ground or it may be very uh, diffuse if the butterfly flaps its wings in china we get a thunderstorm or whatever right but they say there's cause and effect but beyond that there's no deeper meaning that there there's no significance or purpose uh, to the events in our lives and and so they say you know you you just kind of go through life like that and and uh, you try to To maximize the the things that are that are positive, that are pleasurable, that 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 are not painful, and you try to avoid as much pain as you can. So they say that that's the only real significance in life, and uh, that would include atheists. But it's not limited to atheists. There's a lot of people of faith who have who have that understanding. Uh, There are there are um, people who believe in God, and they say they say, well, God is detached. God. Uh, wound up the universe. He created the universe. He set the rules of physics and and chemistry and biology. All he made everything work, but he really has not been involved in it since then. That God is is kind of a detached, a, a cosmic watchmaker who wound it up and it's just ticking along now. And God's not involved. There's no significance to the things that happen, except maybe they might say uh, God has his own purpose, right? But we'll never figure that out because God doesn't get involved in the day-to-day nuts and bolts operation of the world that is just it just ticks along so they say there is no deeper significance and and it doesn't matter whether you you believe in zero gods whether you believe in one god whether you believe in 28 gods um, if if that's your perspective there is no deeper significance to the events in the world so that's one one perspective now there's another perspective and this is the perspective Paul is is talking to he's saying no that there is a deeper significance because god does get involved in the world there's There's a meaning that uh is supplied by god that that if God gets involved in your life, th- the meaning is somehow God is involved in your life, and you have to figure out what the meaning is and so people people typically look at that and say, okay, um if God is causing good events in my life, then that means I have a God who's happy with me, and I also have a God who's strong enough to keep bad events at bay, right. Bad things don't happen to me because God uh, looks after me. God protects me. And if bad things are happening, then one of those two is not true. Either I've got a weak God, and so I should go shop around and find a stronger God um, who can protect me, or I've somehow angered God. So the way I get through life, instead of the first group of people, they just kind of try to to have as much fun as possible and as, as little sorrow and grief as possible. That's their perspective on life. The second group they say, okay, what I have to do to get through life is I have to to um, figure out what God I want to follow, what God is going to give my life significance, and then I've got to figure out what they want from me, and then I've got to do it. And if something goes wrong in my life, I have to figure out which one of those three I got wrong. I have to say, well, maybe I was doing it wrong, or maybe um, I didn't understand what God wanted from me, or maybe I just don't even have the right God. I need to go change my religion or whatever it is. But if bad things happen in my life, I have to figure out one of those three things has happened. So, so those are the two perspectives that Paul was speaking into, and and they were the same then. And we see a lot of people who have one of those two perspectives. Say, so there's nothing really uh, new. The the details may be different, but they could fall into one of those two categories. Uh, there is no significance, or the significance is kind of a barometer. That tells me about my relationship with God. That if it's bad, then if the events of my life are bad, it's because God's unhappy with me. And if the events of my life are good, it's because God's happy with me. So that's the, that's the two perspectives that Paul is speaking into. And he says something that is profoundly different from either one. Paul says, Paul says, God loves you. And, and, it, it, it sounds simple today. It sounds, well, yeah, of course God loves you. It, it, it sounds like a greeting card. It sounds like a, uh, something somebody might put in their welcome mat or something like that. Uh, we don't realize what a radical statement Paul is making here. Because, because this statement, uh, changed Paul. Uh, Paul was one of the very first people. He was, he was in that first generation of, of Christians, people who understood what Jesus was getting at, what Jesus was all about, Paul was in that generation, and so he communicated it in in the letter to the Romans. But Paul said, "This changed my life. This is how this new understanding of God has changed my life." And because of Paul and people like Paul, it has changed the world. And so, what used to be a very radical statement has now become kind of a greeting card sentiment that, "Okay, God loves you." And in fact, uh, one, one of the one of the preachers I admire, Jim Bergen in Colorado, he he essentially says. You you can't make any sense of this anymore because it just is a greeting card to us. So you have to flip it upside down to hear it with the, the rawness that Paul would have said. You have to say, God doesn't hate you. Because that's the temptation, right? When, when your doctor gives you bad news and, and says, you know, you have lung cancer, it's so easy to say, this is God's judgment for all those cigarettes I smoked. Okay, or when you you have a relationship break apart and you say this is God's judgment on them because they're such a bad spouse, or maybe it's God's judgment on me because I'm such a bad spouse, or, or something like that. We tend to look at we tend to look at the world and say this is God judging us. And so what uh, what Jim Bergen says, the way to understand God loves us is to turn it around and say God doesn't hate you that the events of your life are not a barometer, and you can't look at them and say, this tells you how God feels about you. So he says, God loves you. So Paul is speaking into that, that context. He's speaking to a group of people who are saying, uh, one of two things is true. Either your God is weak, or your God is angry. So he begins by talking about the angry God. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He means he means here, as, as we'll see, he means since God is, is for us. If you accept for the sake of argument that God is for you, that God is, is um, on your side, that God loves you, then does anything else matter? Does it matter who is opposed to you? He says, if God is for us, who is against us? How do you know God is for you? He says, he did not withhold his own son. He did not withhold his own son. Uh, who would do that unless they were for you? Unless unless they were on your side, unless they wanted the best for you, why would they sacrifice their son for you if that wasn't true? And he goes on, he says, beyond that, if he gave up his own son, will he not with him also give us anything else? So he's saying, he's saying, if you go to God and you say, you know, the reason God's upset with me is because I have not been able to conquer this addiction. He says, look, God gave his son for you. If you say, can I have some help with my addiction, is God going to say no? Son, yes. Addiction, help, no. God's not going to say that. If you say, if you say I'm having trouble um, uh, being patient with my children, God's going to say, no, I'll give you my son, but I draw the line at helping you in your, with your patience. God's not going to do that. He says, if, if, if he's given his son for us, will he not with him also give us everything else? So then he says, okay, besides, who will bring a charge? Okay, if you're trying to think of God as this kind of barometer, you know, if it's if your life is good, God's in favor of you, and if your life's bad, God's opposed to you, who's going to bring the charge before God? Who's going to, to say, hey, you better watch out for that when he's doing something bad? Who's going to bring the charge? He says, God is the judge. God's the one who's declaring you innocent. God's the one who justifies so, he's not the one bringing the charge. So he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Uh, the ones that God has chosen to, to smile on, who's going to do that? It is God who justifies. Okay, well who's going to condemn? Who's, who's on the jury? Who's going to come in and say we found the defendant guilty? He says, not Jesus. He says, it is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, he was raised for us, who is at the right hand of the, of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So he's not acting like a jury person who's, you know, sequestered and being quiet. He's saying, hey, judge, you need to let these people off. He's saying, neither, the, there's no charge and there's no verdict. He says, who will condemn? Not, not, um, not Jesus. Who will bring a charge? Not God. There's like a cozy little conspiracy between the persons of God on our behalf. And this brings him to the second part. What if God is weak? Is there some way to break up that conspiracy? Is there some way to peel them apart so they quit protecting you? Is there some way to separate us from the love of Christ? He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? This is Paul. Paul has experienced every one of these. The only one we're not sure about is the sword. We don't know. There's a tradition in the church that Paul was ultimately beheaded. Um, So Paul would have ultimately seen the sword. But he experienced all the rest, and he lived under the threat of the sword because he was a threat to the Roman government. He spent the last several years of his life as a prisoner. Um, He was always at threat of of sword from, from bandits and from the government both. So Paul experienced every one of these things, or at least the threat of them, and he said, and it's not just me. It's not just me who's experienced this. This has been the experience of the people of God for centuries. Back when Psalm 44 was written, uh, people said, the world hates God. And so the people of God are going to be killed. The world is going to be cruel to the people of God. Uh, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, this is not just my perspective. This is what people who've been close to God for centuries have always understood. The world is opposed to God. And so, yes, bad things happen to the people that God loves. And then he says this. He wraps it up like this. He says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. I have a question. Do you recognize this logo? Is there anyone who does not recognize this logo? Okay, I think this is like number two or three on the list of recognizable logos. Um, they spend a lot of money advertising to make sure you recognize it. Um, it's like after Mickey Mouse or something like that, but, but it's way up there. And everybody knows what that means. It's Nike, okay, the, the athletic apparel maker. Um, and we know, we know we recognize their logo. What we may not realize is that Nike gets its name from the Greek goddess Nike. Nike was the goddess of victory, and because we're English speakers, we look at that e and we say it's a it's a long, it's silent e and a long i, so we say Nike, right? So Nike um, and the the is the is the Greek goddess of victory. The word Paul uses here is hyper Nike. He says we are more than conquerors. We're not just victors. We're hyper Nike. We're whatever Nike is. Whatever you think of the most the most inspiring commercial where the basketball player jumps higher or the the golf guy shoots the most amazing shot, or or whatever it is, you know, where you watch the commercial and you say, "Boy, if I got some shoes, I could do that too, right?" Um, you know, uh, think of that commercial and then multiply by ten or or a hundred or or a million. Paul says we are hyper Nike. We are more than conquerors. He says these things that afflict us, they're irritants, they're pinpricks, they're gnats, they're mosquito bites. He says, "He says, yes, they're irritating, but they cannot separate us from God's love. We are more than conquerors. We are way beyond conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He says, he says nothing can separate us from God, not death or life, the things we worry about. He says, not time and space, things present, things to come, height, depth, time and space, neither of them can separate us from God. Uh, Not even opposition, active opposition, powers, rulers, angels, even supernatural opposition, nothing can separate us from God. So, what's the application? Uh, The application is, try this on right? It's up to us, right? It's a free country. You can pick the lens you want to look at the world through. You can say, there is no deeper significance. The events of my life are random. A butterfly in China caused the events of my life. Nothing nothing to see here, folks, move along. You can, you can have that perspective. Okay, it's a free country. You could say, no, the events of my life are a barometer that tell me how God feels about me. You can pick that if that works for you. What both of those have in common is if things are going bad, what do you do? You try harder, right? You try harder to avoid the bad things. And, and, and that's your only, that's the only thing you can do to avoid bad is to say, is to say, I'm just going to try harder. Paul says, what are we to say in these things? He says, try this on. Here's a different way of looking at the world. Here's a new lens you can look at the world through. Here's a framework to help you understand the events and circumstances of your life. He says, try this on. God loves you. So he says, he did not give up his own son. He says, Christ, um, uh, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He says, we are more than conquerors. We're hyper Nike. We're, we're hyper Nike through him who loved us. And he says, nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So try that on. When trouble comes your way. When you, you go to work and they tell you the division's being sold. Try this on. Say, this is not an indicator of how God feels about me. Instead say, I am more than a conqueror through Him who loved us. Say, say, God doesn't hate me. Say, say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And then use that as the lens you look at the events of your life through. When when you go to the doctor's office and it's bad news, when, when the doctor says, you're going to have to get this squared away because otherwise there's some problems down the road for you, say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am a hyper Nike. I am a more than a conqueror. This is a pinprick because nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's the first application. The second application is to do the exact same thing for other people. People around the world. The reason that church got bombed in Pakistan is not because God hates them. If it, if it has a deeper meaning, we could say it's because the world hates God. But it is not because God is judging those people. So do it for the people around the world. Say they are more than conquerors through God who loved them. They, they are hyper Nike. Nothing can separate them from the love of God not even explosions. Do it for people around the world. Do it for people around the room. When you get to work, when you go to school, when you look at the classroom, remember, nothing can separate those people from the love of God in Christ. Do it across the table. Say, nothing can separate that person from the love of God. They are more than conquerors. Do it for the person on the other side of the bed. Nothing can separate that person from the love of God in Christ. What can we say about these things? Bad things happen. And we can say, bad things happen. And then you die. That's one perspective, and we all know people who, who, who have that outlook. We can be like people who think that that the, the lesson is that, that we better get our, our, our act together. We better, we better square our stuff away, um, because God is judging us and that if bad things are happening, it's a barometer. It says God, God is angry with us. Or well, we can try this on this new lens that Paul offers. Paul says, try this on God loves you and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, words, um, these challenging words. So often we we do think ourselves judged. We look at our life and say, "You hate us," or we we would say it if we dared to speak. Help us to to look at the events of our life um, in the light of your love. Help us to understand how how you can love us and bad things can still happen to us. Help us to understand that that despite them. We are nevertheless more than conquerors because of your love. We pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.